Okay, everybody, good evening and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. So, uh, uh, sorry for the unusual delay. Uh, this is uh, uh, partially just me getting paid back for saying to myself half an hour ago, wow, look, I'm going to start class on time this week. Um, so, yeah, like a series of uh, wild hijinks leading to Discord just not acknowledging that I was, in fact, using a microphone, so I couldn't get the audio to work. It's something to do with the Discord update, I think, but I uh, got it sorted eventually, uh, so we're good, and uh, I think you guys can all hear me, hopefully, on both Twitch and Discord if everything has gone now according to plan. I think we're I think we're ready to go, so... Anyway, thank you for bearing with me. Also, uh, you know, I have to say, I'm, um, I'm, so one week from today is the, uh, site visit for our, uh, state certification, uh, project. Uh, and, um, th- that's, uh, a big deal. Uh, it's a very big deal. So I'm also kind of a little scatterbrained because I've been, uh, chasing around doing logistics and planning things and organizing, you know, trying to get everything together. And it's lots of stuff going on. And, and I will say also, this is the kind of thing that I think I probably do worst, uh, or rather one of the biggest challenges for me, um, you know, taking a big project and plowing through it is usually not that much of a challenge, but, you know, this kind of thing where there are a hundred details that I have to try to keep all straight and everything, it's not my strength. And so I've been kind of scattered today trying to keep up with all that. So anyway, um, there's my, there's my excuse for, uh, um, for being late. Um, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna make up for it by, completing our depart we officially got to the departure from brie last time so that totally counts uh but we're going to move forward and actually enter the midgewater marshes today so that's going to be uh um that's going to be super exciting indeed cecilia right the apple hit the face last week uh so uh so there we go (laughs) awesome this is really cool so people on twitter are telling me that apparently on twitter i'm upside down which is great i have no idea why twitter is showing me upside down i appear to be right side up to me uh so i don't know that i can fix that so i think it's cool right you know, it, it'll be like the, I'll be, it, it's like this week's class on Twitter will be like the equivalent of that airplane stamp or something, whatever. Uh, I know, JJ, right? I'm doing a presentation and acrobatics. It's like, a, you know, va- value added, you know, on Twitter. Just think of it that way. Um, okay. So, oh, uh, uh, there was an in, a merry old in, is asking, where are we going in game tonight? We're gonna, we're going back to the main text today. Uh, we're having left Brie, which we've thoroughly explored. Uh, we are going to, um, uh, we're gonna, uh, go to, uh, Midgewater tonight. So, so we're, we're gonna make it to the Midgewater Marshes. We're gonna explore the Midgewater Marshes tonight in our field trip. So, it'll be good. Um, Marianne was just asking, I mentioned that we're having a site visit and she asked the very sensible question, um, that, um, you know, uh, how do you have a site visit for a completely, uh, virtual institution? We always used to joke that I would just have people over to my house, uh, you know, but, uh, but really that's actually 
not, in fact, the best plan. So uh, what we're doing is we're actually having it at the Department of Education offices uh, because it's it's again, we have no site, right? So there's not a question of seeing our site. The site visit is mostly about seeing people anyway. It's mostly about meeting people and, and having discussions about things. So we're doing that. Uh, so we're going to be meeting in a, in a few rooms at the uh, Department of Education, and I'm going to be bringing in a bunch of our staff and faculty and students, and we're going to be having interviews and discussion uh, online. So uh, <laughs> there he is. Somebody just sent sent me a sent me a screenshot of me broadcasting upside down. Hey, look! I'm telling you, value added. That video is going to be worth something someday. Trust me. All right. Okay. So let's. Um, Let's uh, get on to this. And oh, by the way, so next week, I had mentioned I wasn't sure if we were going to have class next week. Heck, we'll have class next week. I don't care. So next week, when at class time next week, um, I can't promise how much brain I'm going to have, but we'll do class anyway. We'll do a celebratory class because by next week, this time, we'll be done with our site visit. Uh, and uh, I can relax and enjoy myself hanging out with you guys. Uh, uh, in st- uh, that, so that'll be good. So anyway, that's what we're going to do next week. So we are going to have class next week. Uh, that means we'll have class through the end of July and then the first Tuesday in August, I'll be away. Uh, but then we'll be back after that. So, um, all right, cool. Exactly. Yeah. The inverted Jenny is just what I was thinking. So this, this Periscope broadcast we're going to call, yeah, it's just like the inverted Jenny. You could call it the inverted Corey. That works for me. Um, okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, there it is. Let's um, <laughs> let's let's just keep moving here. Tonight's gonna go from bad to worse if I'm not careful. All right. So tonight we are going into the lone lands outside of Bree uh, and uh, uh, and headed into the empty lands that surround Bree, we're told. That's how they were described originally. Of course, the lone lands is a phrase that comes from The Hobbit. It's used in The Hobbit to describe those lands um, before, right before they meet the troll there in the beginning of chapter two. Um, and uh, and so that's that's having left Bree uh, on our little parade down Main Street, and we spent a lot of time looking at the insults of Bill Fernie. I hope that your esteem for, if not admiration for Bill Fernie, but at least your esteem for Bill Fernie went up, as it certainly did uh, for me last week. Uh, so let's see what happens when we take off. I'm going to go straight into the text tonight. Straight into the text. Okay. At last they left the village behind. See? I told you we'd get out of Bree. At last they left the village behind. The escort of children and stragglers that had followed them got tired and turned back at the south gate. Passing through, they kept on along the road for some miles. It bent to the left, curving back into its eastward line as it rounded the feet of Bree Hill, and then it began to run swiftly downwards into wooded country. To their left they could see some of the houses and hobbit holes of Stadel on the gentler southeastern slopes of the hill. Down in a deep hollow away north of the road there were wisps of smoke, of rising smoke, that showed where Combe lay. Archit was hidden in the trees beyond. After the road had run down some way, and had left Bree Hill standing tall and brown behind, they came on a narrow track that led off towards the north. This is where we have to leave the open. This is where we leave the open and take to cover, said Strider. Not a shortcut, I hope, said Pippin. Our last shortcut through woods nearly ended in disaster. Ah, but you had not got me with you then, laughed Strider. 
My cuts, short or long, don't go wrong. He took a look up and down the road. No one was in sight. And he led the way quickly down towards the wooded valley. All right. I, uh, my subtitle for this slide was The End of Amateur Hour. Uh, because, of course, Amateur Hour is exactly what it's been Amateur Hour for a few days now, right? Uh, as the hobbits have attempted to adventure on their own. Um, and uh, so the, the transition here is fairly striking, right? Um, Pippin's recollection, you know, his sort of joke about the fact that their last shortcut through uh, woods nearly ended in disaster is interesting because on the one hand, right, he is talking about the old forest, right? The old forest was their last shortcut through woods and truly that did almost end in disaster, right? That was, that was, uh, that was, that didn't pan out at all like uh, they had planned. However, Remember this, that's not the first shortcut. Like the first time that we got to the, you know, the, the shortcut, shortcuts make long delays, right? This was Pippin arguing against Frodo. So the fact that it's Pippin, uh, is significant, right? Um, uh, and that is, um, because remember he was the, he was the anti-shortcut person. But, but of course we know that he had, an ulterior motive for being the anti-shortcut person, right? He was the anti-shortcut person because he wanted to stop by the Golden Perch and try their beer, you know, which uh, he remembered very fondly. So that's why he didn't want to take a shortcut. Um, but so you'll remember that first debate with Frodo about shortcuts. And um, he, so he brings it up again here. And in part, he's kind of teasing Frodo, right? Um, because Frodo, it's not just that their last shortcut through woods ended in disaster. Frodo's kind of over two on the whole shortcut through woods thing, right? When Frodo decided after Woody End, um, you know, after they, uh, they spent the night with the elves that they would go on a shortcut, uh, and, uh, you know, it ended up on Farmer Maggot's land. Uh, you'll remember that in a sense, was not disastrous because of course it got them off the road and they might not have escaped the black riders had they not left the road. So it was a, it was one of those that seems to have been a kind of a small version of what we see in much larger print several times in the Hobbit, right? Where something bad happens to them and their road does not go as they planned. And yet it turns out that the apparently bad thing that happened to them, uh, is actually uniquely and providentially advantageous, right? So, you know, they were not, whatever they did, they were not supposed to leave the path in Mirkwood, right? That would be the great disaster if they was like the one rule of crossing through. Okay, second, one was don't drink the black water. But the first rule was don't leave the path, right? And, uh, and they left the path. All right, they left the path and they did the wrong thing and they got lost and then captured by the elves and uh it was it was uh, it was a catastrophe, right? Except of course, had they not been captured by the elves, had they stayed on the path, then they would have uh died, right? They would have uh, been dumped into the swamps and then starved to death. So, the end. Um and that kind of thing happens all the time, right? So only their escape by barrel down the river led them to the long lake, which was the only way that they could have gotten there. You remember that kind of thing happened several times. Right. Um, when they get captured by the goblins, when they get diverted to Bjorn, Tony, exactly. They do seem to be directed by a greater unseen hand. I think that's exactly right in The Hobbit. Anyway, my point is in the, um, 
in the Shire, we saw a very similar thing, right? As it's kind of in smaller print, it's not quite as dramatic on either end, right? It, neither was the disaster that befell them so great, nor was the providence uh, quite so striking. But we can see the same sort of thing, right? On the one hand, Frodo lost that argument, right? And he kind of, you know, deserves a little teasing from Pippin here about shortcuts. And I assume Frodo is really the target of this comment, right? Um, it's um, our last shortcut through woods nearly ended in disaster, says Pippin, looking over at Frodo, right? Uh, it, it is in order to tease Frodo, I think, clearly, uh, that he's speaking here. But, of course, you wonder how much of... Uh, is there any in Pippin uh, residual uneasiness about Strider, right? Because remember, this is kind of the moment, right? This is kind of the moment when... Um, um, this is kind of the moment when uh, uh, they're in Strider's hands, right? If they stuck to the road, they kind of kinda know the way, right? Although, if you stop and think about it, um, what were their odds of getting to Rivendell anyway, right? Had even without any, you know, ring raids hunting them, how likely would it have been that they would have gotten all the way to Rivendell? You'll recall that in The Hobbit, even Gandalf had a hard time finding... I mean, Rivendell is secret, right? Gandalf had to hunt high and low for the for the secret road that leads down to Rivendell. Um, Frodo has heard stories about Rivendell, but that's not the same thing as finding the way. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, it's kind of... Uh, it's sort of an interesting question that doesn't normally get answered, right? It doesn't normally get asked. Um, would they even have made it to Rivendell in the first place? Because of course, that question is so moot by the time they get to, uh, uh, by the time they get even to 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 uh, Buckland, that uh, uh, it seems kind of irrelevant. But um, anyway, <laughs> Fourth Thoughtless says it can't be too hard to find Rivendell. Boromir did it. Yeah, well, it does seem to be a little bit easier by the time we get to the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, but, um, yeah, Irindus, I agree. Uh, Lotro does really capture that aspect of Rivendell. I used to get lost on the path from the Ford to Rivendell all the time. Uh, I thought that that was actually a really, really neat thing that they did, like make it legitimately difficult <laughs> to find your way uh, from the Ford, and you get lost in the woods and the hills and don't know where you are, uh, and then get eaten by bears. That, it's, it's great. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, but um, anyhow, okay. Uh, so, where was I? Rivendell. Hard to get there. Backtracking from there, we were talking about shortcuts, right? So, again, one of the other things that's happening, and I saw that comment, um, uh, who was, uh, who was saying that, um, Fourth Dauntless says uh, that uh, his comment ought to be directed at least as much at Mary. Uh, that is about the shortcuts uh, leading nearly ending in disaster. It's true that Mary was leading them, but it was Frodo's idea. You'll remember that Frodo was the one who declared that he's leaving in the morning, and he's but not by road. He's going through the old forest, and Mary says it sounds very desperate, right? But you know he's he's game, right? So he does take the lead. Um, so Pippin is quite likely teasing the both of them, right? Both Mary and Frodo, uh, by making this comment. So on the one hand, Sam, or not Sam, 
Strider is sort of not playing along, right? Strider is, uh, you know, uh, Pippin is making this comment, uh, which is designed uh, to tease Frodo and possibly Mary as well. And, uh, and Strider just kind of takes it as, you know, uh, uh, takes it as if it were completely, like a completely serious observation, right? Um, you had not got me with you then. Now he does laugh, right? Uh, Strider is laughing. So I don't think he's just obtuse, right? I don't think he just misses out on the, uh, uh, the sort of the tone here. Um, uh, but, um, you know, so, so, you know, you had not got me with you then my cuts short or long don't go wrong. Um, what do you make of that? On the one hand, this is, it's the thing that always struck me about this is the sort of boastfulness of, um, of Strider here, right? Um, that he, you know, sort of declaring like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a much better guide than the guides you've been having. Right. Um, and, and see, Karina, I think he's joking about the, like the, the idea of a long cut, right? Um, the idea of a long cut. I think that's meant to be, I think it's meant to be funny, right? That he's like, he's making a joke on the concept of shortcuts, right? Um, and, uh, so yeah, our last shortcut through the woods, nearly not a shortcut, I hope. Um, my cuts short or long don't go wrong. Um, I think, uh, Mario was saying, uh, she always took him to be kind of jocular here. The fact that he's laughing, I think is important, right? Um, I think that that is important, but it does seem to me significant that the kind of unspoken issue here or kind of where this conversation ends up going, although it seems to begin by Pippin just as a kind of a friendly barb at, at, at Frodo and possibly Mary, um, does kind of, in a sense, bring up the elephant in the room, right? And that is Strider's trustworthiness. Can they, they're putting themselves into this guy's hands, right? Um, can he be relied upon? Not just as a guide, right? Like, will he get them lost or will he not get them lost? But that in itself is kind of a, a partial, um, just a, a sort of a partial statement, right? It's like synecdoche for the bigger question. Right? Are you trustworthy? Will you lead us well? Are we safe with you? Right? Are we safe under your guidance? Um, again, I don't think that that's what's in Pippin's mind, but it seems to me not a coincidence that, like, all of a sudden, that's kind of what's in the air there. And what Strider does, though he's laughing, though he seems to be sort of trying to take up the same kind of joking tone that Pippin was clearly using at first, he goes there. Right. And what he does is to, is to reassure them, even at the risk of sounding boastful. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so he, he off and, and that's what I, that's what I take behind that reassurance or behind that boasting is, is reassurance. Right. Not just that he's speaking highly of himself. Right. But that he, he knows they need reassurance. Right. Um, and I think that we can see him offering that here. Um, Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, uh, Evil Doctor Cannon is saying that aside from Sam, I think all the hobbits trust him by this point after Gandalf's letter. Yes. Well, at least they say that, right? Um, but it's one thing to say, you know, like, it's still kind of conceptual at this point. Um, remember, they've still now only known the guy for, like, what, less than 12 hours? Um, so they may be convinced, you know, maybe sort of intellectually convinced that he is who he says he is and that he is Gandalf's friend and, uh, therefore, and, you know, Gandalf commended him in, in his letter and, and therefore it's, it's probably okay. Um, there's a lot for them to overcome here. Not only just the fact that he's still kind of a stranger, but he's also a, one of the big people, right? Unlike, for instance, Nob and Bob. So, um, he, you know, he's, um, uh, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely, uh, um, having trouble here, right? Um, he, I, I think that he is, uh, it's not necessary that he is going to be able to completely win their, I mean, th- they have to warm up to him. And remember, Frodo's going to talk about this when he is in Rivendell, right? In that first conversation he has with Gandalf when he wakes up, right? Um, about how Strider is kind of growing on them, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Cecilia, I agree. The question of Strider's humor, uh, keeping track sort of of Strider's own particular brand of, hu- of humor. We've talked a lot about hobbitry, right? Um, that is to say the, uh, um, the, the different, um, this particular tone, right, of like teasing and saying horrible things about each other, which shows that you're really good friends. Um, that's been fairly characteristic of, uh, sorry, making a quick adjustment here. That's been fairly characteristic of Hobbit humor, uh, to this point. But I think that, um, we are seeing Aragorn's humor and we've seen some glimpses of it, right? But I, I do think it would be interesting to, to sort of keep track of that and watch, uh, what, kind of makes Aragorn laugh, right? Um, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, Matt Violinus says he doesn't seem to be very good at hobbitry. This does seem clumsy, right? It does. That, that's how it strikes me, too. Like, he's trying to pick up on and follow Pippin's tone, but he doesn't really seem to be... It's not meshing, right? The chemistry is not there yet, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, and Tony, you're right. Tony on, on Twitter is saying the reader doesn't know how, uh, you know, long he's lived in the world. This also serves as a good way of introducing him. It's true. Um, a kind of a reiteration and a reminder of, I know what I'm doing, right? And I'm really familiar with this, um, with this, with this place. Um, yeah. Interesting. Fourth Dauntless and Tony Mead were both thinking of the word condescending. Um, uh, is, is, is he condescending in the positive sense of that word? Uh, coming down to, um, uh, you know, when you are in a high and lofty position to come down. So when, um, you know, if, uh, if, you know, Aragorn descends from his throne in Minas Tirith to, uh, you know, to, to hang out with the soldiers, he's condescending, right? He's coming down to be with them. Um, in a sense, yes, though, remember Strider, his Strider persona 
is in a sense below them. Not even in a sense. I would just say flatly below them, socially below them. Um, they're little hobbit traveling gentry, except for Sam, right? right you know, three traveling gentry and their servant. Um, uh, as far as, you know, social class and everything is concerned. So uh, in that sense, of course, uh, uh, he is not coming down. And remember the way that he established himself was as this wandering, probably rogue, right? Uh, named Strider. Um, so in as much as he is still sort of taking part in that Strider persona, um, he's uh, he's already... The question is like whether he's going to be accepted as one of the guys, not uh, um, not is he uh, is he going to descend to their level again? The reality, I mean, we know that he knows who he is, right? Uh, that his that he's the heir of Gondor, but um, but that's not um, uh, that's he's not there, and that's certainly not how he's acting or or have has ever acted. Um, Bruinier, I don't know of any modern word that means the same thing as that old sense of condescending. Um, and it's a shame because that's a word that's very useful, frankly. Uh, and we only use that word in a negative sense now. Um, it doesn't shock me that especially in America, we haven't replaced that word, right? Because the whole concept, the word condescending in that old sense really does rely upon a sense of social class, right? A sense that some people are above other people and so therefore can come down in a positive and, and generous and charitable way. And that's why I think condescending has become a universally negative term, especially in America, because um, of the idea, you know, the very concept that you would hold yourself above me in order to come down to my level is insulting, right? Because, you know, we're Americans and we believe everybody, you know, we believe everybody's equal. So... Um, uh, anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's hard. See, at Bruinier, it contains the idea of compassion and sympathy, but neither one of those words convey anything like the concept of condescension in that older sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, cool. Um, all right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Mike, you, you know, you mentioned like celebrities. Um, the one time I hear anything, there's not a word. They don't have, cause we don't have a word for it, right? Um, but have you, if you talk to somebody who has met a celebrity, like a, you know, a, a sports star or a, you know, movie star or something like that. Um, and sometimes they will, that, the, that person will compliment them by saying, like, oh, yeah, he was so down to earth. That's usually the phrase that people use, right? He's such, just like a, just a, you know, really great, normal, down to earth guy. Um, you know, he didn't hold himself above us, right? He, you know, he interacted with us just like we were equals, right? There is, in, in, the, in those conversations, whenever I've heard anyone talking like that, I sometimes think about this concept of condescension. Um, but, um, uh, because that seems to be the thing that they're kind of getting at, right? Uh, but, we I, we don't really have a specific word for that. Anyway, okay. Um, let's see. We didn't talk any about the um, um, 
we didn't talk any about the the description up there. Um, I think it's you know one of the things that it establishes um, their view from the road, right? They go around the feet of Bree Hill, and the road begins to run swiftly downwards into wooded country, right? Um, look at the that we get this sense of receding civilization, right? They see some houses and hobbit holes, right? So they can just see Staddle or parts of Staddle from where they are. Um, and then they can see wisps of rising smoke from Coombe. And then they don't see anything, but they just kind of generally know that Archit is over there, right? In the woods. Um, so Archit is completely invisible. Comb is just, they can see the evidence that it exists and Staddle, they can kind of get glimpses of through the trees. Um, so I, just, I, I really like the way that as that description goes, it conveys to you the sense of their travel, right? As they are moving further and further away from Bree uh, and going very quickly into the Lonelands. Those towns are all clustered fairly close together. It doesn't take them long. They've they left, you know, they've been gone, what, an hour maybe? Uh, and already they're in... No man's land, right? Already there in the lone lands. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, I kind of go back and forth with how I pronounce comb. Uh, on the one hand, I always want to say cum, like with two O's, uh, like meaning a small copse of trees. Um, but, uh, but it's only got one O, right? Uh, but the fact that it has an E, I think of Coombe, right? Besides, Coombe seems appropriate since it's a wooded region, right? So uh, it, it, it always kind of struck me as an alternate spelling of that. So I usually say Coombe uh, because I, that's what I always grew up saying when I read uh, when I read the, the books. But to, to the extent that I have at times forgotten that there isn't a second O in the name of that uh, in the name of that town. Um yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Tony and Tillian, yeah, that's also how, uh, how Rob Inglis does it in the audiobook. Uh, so that I think also helped to cement my, uh, 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 proclivity towards pronouncing it that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Okay. Um, keep going his plan as far as they could understand it without knowing the country was to go towards archard at first but to bear right and pass it on the east and then to steer as straight as he could over the wild lands to weathertop hill in that way they would if all went well cut off a great loop of the road which further on bent southwards to avoid the midwater marshes but of course they would have to pass through the marshes themselves and Strider's description of them was not encouraging. However, in the meanwhile, walking was not unpleasant. Indeed, if it had not been for the disturbing events of the night before, they would have enjoyed this part of their journey better than any up to that time. The sun was shining, clear but not too hot. The woods in the valley were still leafy and full of color, and seemed peaceful and wholesome. Strider guided them confidently among the many crossing paths, although, left to themselves, they would soon have been at a loss. He was taking a wandering course with many turning turns and doublings to put off any pursuit. Bill Fernie will have watched where we left the road for certain, he said. 
though I don't think he will follow us himself. He knows the land round here well enough, but he knows he is not a match for me in a wood. It is what he may tell others that I am afraid of. I don't suppose they are far away. If they think we have made for Archit, so much the better. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we do have uh, the, the, uh, the, my subtitle for this uh, slide is a Breland walking party. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, it's, uh, we're back to a Hobbit walking party again, right? Briefly, we get this, uh, uh, this sort of recollection of the fact that actually this is kind of nice, right? We're out walking. We all enjoy walking and this is beautiful country, right? This is great. It, if it were not for the fact that, you know, that we're surrounded by ring raids and, you know, we, we talked about how, uh, really quite bleak their situation is when they wake, when they woke up this morning, right? Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, I, I think it's um, it's interesting, and you're absolutely right, Matt. This does sound very like the shortcut taken by Frodo in the Shire uh, to avoid the Golden Perch, right? There was that great loop of the road, and he's like, oh, it'll be easier if we go straight across, and the land's kind of marshy, but whatever. Um, the difference, of course, is that Frodo was genuinely thinking that it might, might be faster, right? Um, it was designed to be a shortcut. Uh, and, uh, you know, shortcuts may make delays, but ends make longer ones. That was merely cementing his case. He didn't know about the whole perch thing, right? The golden perch when he proposed it initially. Um, now he did want to stay off the road, but I'm not confident that that was primary in his, uh, uh, in his motivation. It was definitely a part of it, right? With, uh, Strider here, that is explicit, explicitly it, right? That is explicitly uh, his purpose in going this way. And if you notice what he, what he, I mean, you've got to think, all right, if there's any loops of the road that you don't want to cut off, it's probably the one that goes around the Midwater marshes, right? I mean, there is a reason the road goes around there, right? Because even if they were to build laboriously a causeway across the marshes, like remember there was a causeway in the Marish, uh, uh, in order for, people like Farmer Maggot to be able to drive their pony carts and things along and not have to worry about getting bogged down in the, uh, in, in the, in, in the wetlands. They could conceivably have put the road, the dwarves who made it, that is, could conceivably have put the road on a causeway across the Midgewater marshes. But why do that when you can just go around it, right? It's, is not, this is not the whole, it's just this, this, this big swamp besides which it's nasty, right? So, yeah, on the one hand, as I say, this is not necessarily the primary shortcut that you would want to, that you would want to make. However, Strider is clearly doing this for a very clear reason, right? Um, remember his comment about how ponies would not have, uh, helped them to escape horsemen, right? You know what might help them escape horsemen? Swamps, right? Because the black riders, the horses, will be no advantage at all in the Midgewater Marshes, right? And that's, I think, seems to be fairly clearly uh, what Aragorn is thinking. It's not just that he's hoping to take them by a route where they will not be able to be tracked. Uh, of course, it's kind of hard to follow, even if you're following by scent. It's pretty hard to follow somebody through a swamp, 
right? So the Midgewater Marshes, on the one hand, is the last place you would want to go on a Breland walking party, but at the same time, it is probably the smartest place to go if you're looking to shake off any possible pursuers and prevent any mounted uh, 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 hunters from catching up with you, right? Um, nowhere, nowhere would the, uh, the sort of... Um, uh, how would you say the the kind of balance between uh them on foot and the 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 riders on horseback the advantage the speed advantage that the riders have because of their horses will be nowhere more perfectly eliminated uh than in the midgewater marshes so again you know strider says his cuts short or long don't go wrong he's not just taking a shortcut Right. Um, I think one of the reasons he's joking about long cuts is that he knows he's not just trying a shortcut. Right. He's not trying to increase efficiency. As we can see, he's doubling and shifting all over the place. Right. Because he knows this area really, really well. This is not a question of him trying to find his way. As you'll remember, they ended up zigging and zagging uh, when they ended up uh, when they left the road at Woodall. Right. Because they were trying to get to. Um, they were trying to cut straight across and they ended up turning sideways in ditches and, uh, and, uh, and, and hedges and things like that. So, uh, um, so yeah, absolutely. That, you know, the, the same thing is happening, but of course Strider is doing it on purpose, knowing exactly where, what he is doing and where he's going. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Lincoln says now he's picturing the Nazgul horses as, uh, like Artaks in the, in the swamp of sadness in the never ending story movie. Uh, yeah, nobody wants that situation, right? Though Lincoln, the idea of, uh, of Ringwraith imploringly pulling on the, the bridle of his horse to try to get his horse to think happy thoughts in order to escape the swamp is, uh, kind of charming not gonna lie i really kind of like that mental picture um but uh you know uh yes yes um yeah jj's wondering how you think how you say think happy thoughts in black speech talk about your phrases that i don't think you'll find in your normal black speech uh handbook you know um that's just not they don't normally that's uh that's not normally a thing um yeah yeah um okay i like the f- uh, once again strider speaks with great self-confidence right um he knows he is not a match for me in a wood um and there again um there again we have I think the same reason, right? Is it just this mean that Strider's a boastful guy? You know, that Strider's kind of full of himself? One side note there. Keep in mind that that is kind of an established thing, right? I mean, Beowulf was kind of full of himself too, right? Very forthright and confident in speaking about his own capabilities. Um, that's often a heroic trait in many traditions. So, you know, the mere fact that Strider is... Speak, you know, like it's not, it's not boasting if it's true, right? <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, but, but anyway, that, you know, so that there is that possibility of a thing, but I don't think that that's what's going on. I don't think that what we should be hearing from Strider, both in this speech and in the previous one, 
is Strider using that kind of heroic boastfulness, right? I know I am a great hero, and so I proclaim it proudly, right? That's not... um, that's not exactly, I think, what's going on. I think in both cases, what we can see is his reassurance of the hobbits, right? Doubtless, they're also thinking, you know, what if we're followed? Um, you know, there are those disturbing events of the night before, and he openly, um, he openly acknowledges it, right? Bill Fernie probably followed us, right? Bill Fernie's pro- probably trying to track us, but... It's not going to work, right? Um, he is he's, he is no match for me. But it's not just that he's no match for me. He knows he's no match for me, right? You don't have to worry that Bill Fernie is trying to follow us and sneak up on us because he knows full well he can't keep up with me. I know that he's not even going to try it, right? So, my hobbits, you don't have to worry about that. But he also does acknowledge what there is to worry about. Right, um, it's what he may tell others that I'm afraid of. So what's he doing here? Right, um, he's notice how he is systematically kind of acknowledging their fears. Right, Bill Fernie will have watched where we left the road for certain. You may be worried that somebody is following us. Right, let me acknowledge the fact that they certainly were. There were definitely people watching. Right. Um, and Bill Fernie would probably want to track us. But you don't have to worry about that. He couldn't catch me and he knows it, right? He won't even try. However, you're probably also thinking that he's going to report back to the Nazgul and tell them right where we are, right? Yes, I'm worried about that too, right? He almost certainly will. That's why I'm leading you where I'm leading you, right? Don't think my shortcut is going wrong just because we're wandering. You probably have a good enough sense of direction to tell when we're wandering all over the place, right? I'm not doing this for no reason. Uh, I'm, I, trust me, right? I know what I'm doing. Um, It seems to me, frankly, this speech um, by uh, Strider seems to be, well, kind of generous, frankly, right? Um... Uh, belongs bond exactly. Just trying to make them feel comfortable. Um, going out of his way to acknowledge their fears and explain what he's doing. He doesn't have to explain what he's doing, right? Um, he could just say, shut up and follow, right? Shut up and trust me. But he doesn't do that. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that that's really, um, Exactly, Blue Wizard was thinking about reassuring them that the circuitous route has a beneficial purpose. Exactly, because they probably will have noticed. Um, right, rather than him getting them lost and confused to take advantage of them. Because yes, that there are a couple ways in which they're noticing that he seems to be wandering in aimless directions. Right, uh, could lead right? at the least. It could lead them to question his competence, right? He's sound. He talks a good game, but is he actually? Does he actually know what he's doing, right? And secondly, that more serious concern, right? Is he just? Is he having us on, right? Is he just uh, uh, trying? To, is this like his version of spinning us around in circles, right? So that uh, uh, we won't know how to escape. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You are very right that saying shut up and trust me wouldn't be very good leadership. What he's doing is good leadership, though, right? And I think that that's really, uh, I think that's really good interest, uh, really good uh, 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 leadership that he's doing there in that paragraph. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's see. Uh, oh, and then we got the not unpleasant walking. Uh, all right, good. Let's keep going. Whether because of Strider's skill or for some other reason, they saw no sign and heard no sound of any other living thing all that day, neither two-footed, except birds, nor four-footed, except one fox and a few squirrels. The next day they began to steer a steady course eastwards, and still all was quiet and peaceful. On the third day out from Bree they came out of the Chetwood. The land had been falling steadily ever since they turned aside from the road, and they now entered a wide, flat expanse of country, much more difficult to manage. They were far beyond the borders of the Breeland, out in the pathless wilderness, and drawing near to the Midgewater marshes. The ground now became damp, and in places boggy, and here and there they came upon pools, and wide stretches of reeds and rushes, filled with the warbling of little hidden birds. They had to pick their way carefully to keep both dry-footed and on their proper course. At first they made fair progress, but as they went on, their passage became slower and more dangerous. The marshes were bewildering and treacherous, and there was no permanent trail even for rangers to find through their shifting quagmires. The flies began to torment them, and the air was full of clouds of tiny midges that crept up their sleeves and breeches and into their hair. "'I'm being eaten alive!' cried Pippin. "'Midgewater! There are more midges than water!' "'What do they live on when they can't get Hobbit?' asked Sam, scratching his neck. "'Okay. Um... Uh, yeah, I, you know, you guys are, are, are picking up on the, the, you know, the joke that I was definitely thinking about too, uh, when we got to this, the fact that they see a fox, right? Can we dismiss that as coincidence? I'm not really, I'm not really sure we can, right? Um, that fox is clearly keeping tabs on them, right? Um, he might not ever have learned more about why, uh, but it's not for lack of trying, right? The, the Vulpine network is clearly on the lookout here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tony says Tolkien doesn't mention it, but I'd bet anything there are leeches in that water. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In fact, Tony, it's funny. Leeches were just, uh, uh, my sons and I were just quoting this line the other day. Um, what do they live on when they can't get Hobbit? We were puzzling ourselves. Um, uh, it's, it's, we, uh, we swim in a pond up the road and occasionally get leeches. They're fun. And uh, um, it's no big deal. We're totally cool with it. But, um, but anyway, we were, we were wondering, like, what do leeches live on? Like other than people, right? Turtles? Seriously, I don't even know. What do leeches live on when they can't get Hobbit? Um, anyway, uh, so... I, uh, I too, love this, uh, this description. Uh, uh, Tony on Twitter was talking about how, how good Tolkien was at, at, at painting pictures, right? And giving you uh, these impressions, not just of the landscape, but of the passing of time. And that seems to me a really important thing, right? Um, notice how he is describing their journey uh, of the day without saying anything that happened in it, right? Um, you know, this, there's, there, there haven't been any events on this day. There have been no encounters, right? There's not been, there's not been anything. Um, but by describing the landscape and then describing how the landscape steadily changes, uh, he enables us to picture the kind of progress that they have made, even though their progress is slowing and becoming more and more miserable. Also, notice 
Although Strider is not himself bragging, the narrator is kind of indirectly bragging on him, right? The marshes were bewildering and treacherous, and there was no permanent trail even for rangers to find through their shifting quagmires, right? That reference to rangers there, right? There's no trail even for rangers to find. So what does this mean? On the one hand, it means that presumably if there's no trail for rangers to find, Strider didn't find a trail, right? No, but at the same time, we're told that they're proceeding straight eastward, right? Strider is leading them. They're not going to get lost in the marshes. Um, we know this. Besides the fact that um, that there are no paths even for rangers to follow, um, we know they're going to make it across, right? And the, 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 the use of the noun quagmires suggests not only the inconvenience and deep unpleasantness of the Midgewater marshes, but the actual danger, right? I mean, there's a non-zero chance of death in these marshes that they're walking through. Um, you know, there are, there are quagmires which are not good, right? Especially, I would imagine, if you're as tall as a hobbit, right? Uh, easier for you to get sucked down below the water level, right? If you're that short. Um, uh, though I suppose it helps to be lighter weight, too, so maybe those balance out. I don't know. Um, but anyway, this is a kind of indirect compliment to Strider as well, right? Strider is nevertheless leading them confidently, and they're going to make it across, not without incident, right? That is to say, he's not without annoyance, not without discomfort, um, but without significant danger. The fact that they don't, that there are no encounters, right? That there are no events. Um, notice that that's where this passage starts out. Whether because of Strider's skill or for some other reason, they saw no sign and heard no sound of any other living thing all that day. They encountered nobody, right? And the hobbits can't even tell if it's just because there's nobody to encounter or whether it's because there were things to encounter, but they've all been scared away or something, right? Or whether it's just that Strider is that good. Um, and so the two kind of indirect references that our narrator makes here to Strider's skill, right? Ranger's inability to find paths across the marshes and uh, Strider's skill possibly being... <laughs> Sorry, possibly being to uh, 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 to account for why they didn't see anything at all, right? Um, nothing except birds, one fox, and a few squirrels. Um. Uh, anyway, um. Yeah, Doctor uh, Evil Doctor Cannon. We absolutely um, we do get an anticipation, right? Um. Uh. We, we do get an anticipation of, of Gollum in the Dead Marshes, right? Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, Finn, you're right that it sounds like the narrator is not convinced that it's all Aragorn's doing, or at least is leaving that question open, right? And one wonders why that is, right? So let's think about that for a second. Why say that? Why say whether because of Strider's skill or for some other reason, right? Not only does it not answer the question, well, which is it, right? Why don't they meet anybody? Not only do we never get a definitive answer to that question, but even the statement is vague, right? I, for some other unknown reason, right? We're not even going to speculate what the reasons might be, much less answer why it is. Um, and I think... Um, uh, 
I think that the result, essentially, um, the result of saying that, right, of leaving it open like that, is to convey, to lay the emphasis, not on Strider's skill, but on their uncertainty, right, on the Hobbit's uncertainty. Uh, they don't know, right? And again, it's interesting how this kind of comes back to the question of their trust for Strider, right? Uh, they haven't met anybody all day long. Is this evidence that they're in good hands? Or is it not? Right? Is there some other reason to explain this? Um, is Strider good or lucky? They don't know. And so we don't know. Right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, Valorius wondering if Frodo as narrator is uh, not wanting to be dishonest on his experiences. Yeah, it does seem to be conveying this idea of the the uncertainty that they're in today, right? I mean, the hobbits are in very unfamiliar and un- increasingly unpleasant terrain. They are way outside their comfort zone, right? Um, and there's a difference here, even to, again, the thing which this passage Pippin begins by recalling the moment when they went into the old forest, right? Back on the previous slide. Um, about their, their old, their last shortcut through woods ending in disaster. In that moment, they went outside their comfort zone, right? That's the main time they went outside their comfort zone. And when they did, it didn't end well, right? Now, they're putting themselves in the hands of this strange man, right? Uh, concerning whom they've had some assurances and concerning whom Frodo has some positive feelings, right? Uh, he's got a good sense. Uh, uh, he's got a good feeling about this. Frodo does. Um, but, um, but still, you know, they don't, there's, there's, there, there's believing, there's suspecting, and then there's knowing, and they just don't know. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyway, okay, so, um, sorry, lost my train of thought. Um, right, about going outside their comfort zone, right? Uh, and of course, like what we see is them getting more and more, in fact, uncomfortable. But throughout this, we can see, although he's not even following a path anymore, he is still leaving them uh, truly, right? He's still leading them straight. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, cool. All right. Sorry. Lots of comments. I just sifting through here for a second. Does it now, a couple of you were asking, does it, um, uh, does this suggest that there's some other power at work? Hmm. it's possible. I mean, that kind of vague for some other reason certainly opens the door for that kind of, you know, like the clandestine adding of capital letters, right? Some other reason, right? I I, I don't see that, first of all, because there isn't any capitalization, right? So it, it sounds more like uncertainty than heavy hinting, right? Um, I mean, of course, Gandalf's speech in chapter two is, is the classic example, right? Um, uh, you know, Bilbo was meant to find the ring. 
Um, I can put it no no more plainly than by saying uh, that's the that's you know the sort of most egregious example of you know hinting at another hand at work here in this. Um, I don't I don't see that um, that that same thing here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, I, but I don't want to totally, I don't want to totally exclude that either, right? Um, it is, of course, quite possible that Strider is being both good and lucky here, right? And, you know, luck we already kind of know about, right? Um, and I, I, I think that their uncertainty does kind of open up that, so I, I don't see that passage as hinting clearly, you know, that we should, we're supposed to be thinking about it that way. But the uncertainty does kind of, you know, leave open the possibility that luck is involved and therefore, uh, quite likely providence. Um, what do they live on when they can't get Hobbit? Was always one of my favorite lines. Um, all right. They spent a miserable day in this lonely and unpleasant country. Their camping place was damp, cold, and uncomfortable, and the biting insects would not let them sleep. There were also abominable creatures haunting the reeds and tussocks that, from the sound of them, were evil relatives of the cricket. <laughs> Sir, I think evil relatives of the cricket is one of my favorite phrases in all of book one. Um, I have always loved that phrase, evil relatives of the cricket. Um, I, uh, that would almost be a good band name, actually. But anyway, okay. There were thousands of them, and they squeaked all round. Neek, break, break, neek, unceasingly all the night until the hobbits were nearly frantic. The next day, the fourth, was little better, and the nights, and the night almost as comfortless. Though the Neekerbreakers, as Sam called them, had been left behind, the midges still pursued them. As Frodo lay, tired but un unable to close his eyes, it seemed to him that far away there came a light in the eastern sky. It flashed and faded many times. It was not the dawn, for that was still some hours off. Is that the light? he said to Strider, who had risen. Sorry, what is the light? he said to Strider, who had risen and was standing, gazing ahead into the night. I do not know, said Strider. It is too distant to make out. It is like lightning that leaps up from the hilltops. Frodo lay down again, but for a long while he could still see the white flashes, and against them the tall dark figure of Strider, standing silent and watchful. At last he passed into an uneasy sleep. Okay. Um, first... A vocabulary question. What are midges? That's not a word we use in America. I know that's a, that's a, it's a British word. Are midges mosquitoes or something else? I've never been quite sure that I'm picturing the right thing, right? I mean, I'm imagining I'm from America, right? And so in America, if I'm in a swamp like this, I'm imagining being absolutely, uh, carried away, right, by mosquitoes. Um, are they, are they, are they, they're more like gnats, right? Biting gnats. Okay. Um, 
Is it a synonym then when he says, uh, like going back to the previous slide for a second, where was he talking about the flies? Right? He, talks, he uses the word for clouds of tiny midges. Right? If they're tiny, I suppose they're probably not mosquitoes, right? They'd be, they'd be, uh, they'd be, they'd be fat, right? Um, uh, the flies began to torment them. That's what I was looking for. And, and the air was full of clouds of tiny midges that crept up their sleeves and britches and into their hair. Okay, so, um, so the flies and the midges are not the same. I was, I was, that's what I was going back to look for. I was pretty sure of that. Um, oh, look at this. I'm getting pictures. Look at that. Evil Dr. Cannon came up with a picture which has a mosquito, a fly, and a midge uh, next to each other. Wow, midges are tiny. That's wow. Okay, so a midge, we're looking, it's like a 20th the size of a mosquito. All right, so that's why they're creeping up in their clothes and everything. So they're, But there probably are flies, too. So um, the, the flies, I would imagine, would be uh, either like horse flies or deer flies or something like that. So presumably larger biting flies uh, and, uh, and, 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 and then the midges and then whatever the knickerbreakers are, right? Um, which I think are probably um, the knickerbreakers. I've always wondered, are they insects, too? They sound like evil relatives of the cricket, but does that prove they're bugs? Um, uh, are they... Uh, that is, I've always wondered if the Nikobreakers might be frogs. Sam would probably know, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I believe you that midges are like a subspecies of flies. I'm just... When it's described... Uh, it sounds, it's, it's, in that description sounded pretty clearly that those were two different things, right? The flies began to torment them, and the air was full of clouds of tiny midges. Suggests to me that they are both being swarmed by biting flies, like, again, like larger flies, like deer flies or horse flies or something, and also being plagued by clouds of tiny midges. Um, yeah. See, Wheel Rider, that's exactly what I was thinking. Neek Breek does sound to me like like spring peak spring, spring peepers. I live next to a, a woodland pond here, uh right up next to my driveway, uh and we have large choruses of frogs which make uh very uh um very varied sounds, right? Um so uh I I I had kind of wondered about that um but uh anyway yeah i don't i don't really know they're probably bugs i guess probably um there were thousands of them see see thousands of them i gotta think i don't know i gotta think that still sounds to me like frogs um, I, 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 I agree the comparison to crickets, right? It evo explicitly evokes crickets, but he's just describing the sound, right? That doesn't necessarily mean, uh, that there would be, uh, um, uh, that the thing making this sound is necessarily an insect. Um, yeah, yeah. Alex, there would be frogs in the Shire, but this would just be, I mean, whatever this is, whether it be insect or frog, it's obviously a species that none of the frogs have encountered before, right? Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, they have 
both frogs and also crickets, I think, clearly, in the Shire. Um, yeah, uh, Tomas is wondering uh, why they're evil, right? Um, Matt says something has to be around to eat all those flies and midges. Well, they're not doing their office. Actually, there you go. It, they can't be frogs, right? If all of those Neeker Breakers were frogs, there would be fewer flies and midges around, I can tell you. Right? Again, I live right next to a body of a body of water, which, you know, I'm, there are parts of my pond out here that we could do live shots from Midgewater Marshes. Uh, and uh, I have to admit that when I like first bought this house, I was like, oh, this is very beautiful, but I'm sure the mosquitoes are going to be horrible here. Um, and um, uh, And I have been surprised actually the mosquitoes are not horrible here because we have lovely frogs right we have our huge array of frogs who do a fabulous job uh keeping the mosquito population down so if i are all those neeker breakers around i would think uh, I i would think that they would uh they would they would help um uh, so yeah, no, actually, yeah, the more I think that through, I'm now convinced the Nika Breakers must be bugs. Uh, and one of the horrible things about the Midgewater Marshes is there must be a terrible dearth of frogs. Um, Tony, I agree with you. Uh, um, Tony is, is, uh, thinking about, again, uh, having brought up the narrator question on the previous slide, uh, is now thinking about the, the editorial process of the Red Book of West March, right? Um, of that paragraph, uh, I think the, though the Neeker Breakers, as Sam called them, had been left behind, that's a Frodo line, right? Clearly. Sam wouldn't put that in, right? But Frodo would. Remember Frodo's reference in the, uh, in the Return of the King to how, uh, you know, the theoretical, uh, listener to stories read, uh, you know, to their story read aloud would say that you would ask why they didn't put more of Sam's talk in, right? So, uh, out of nowhere inclusions of Sam's talk, that's got Frodo all over it, right? Clearly, um, but um, uh, but the earlier paragraph, um, in specific, uh, in in particular, the evil relatives of the cricket. I can totally imagine Sam adding that, right? Um, really, that whole sentence. From abominable creatures to evil relatives, uh, I could see Sam thinking that there was not enough color. <laughs> it didn't really convey uh, the pure misery of this. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. Pontin, I also would think that the Midgewater Marshes would be paradise for frogs, right? You know, maybe... Maybe it would be a sign of the restoration of the land, right? Maybe when Strider comes back and uh, the land begins to heal, more frogs will come back to the Midgewater Marshes. I like to think that that will happen and, and uh, the whole everyone will be happier. Um, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, good, good. Um, now, the having... <laughs> thoroughly discussed the possible species of the Neeker Breakers. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to the, let's move on to the land here, right? Or to, to the lights, uh, in the distance. Um, a light in the Eastern sky. It flashed and faded many times. Um, the fading flashed and faded. The word faded, well, I won't say confuses exactly, but surprises me in some ways. Uh, perhaps it shouldn't because it alliterates, and that's 
sort of reason enough, right? Um, but um, but even besides that, um, it's um, uh, I'm wondering if it's uh, attempting to convey like the you know the bright flash, which then kind of stays in you, know, like the fading of it from your vision, or if the light is actually sort of slowly fading out yet uh ambrogius aurelianus just as you were just saying about the 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 impression on your retina of a sudden flash in the night um i wonder yeah it's interesting fourth dauntless is saying flash and fade sounds an awful lot like what fireworks do yeah i the, the reason i'm um the reason I'm, I'm i'm wondering about that is i'm trying to i'm trying to understand what exactly he's describing here um is the light in fact like lightning Right, a sudden white flash, which is instantly gone, but again leaves that impression because it's bright in the darkness. Or is it like fireworks? You know, is it so it's bright and then it stays and then like you know turns orange and fades away? Is that is that what is being described? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I would be tempted to say that it's the after image thing that we're that we're getting, um, but uh, but yeah, I, the connection to fireworks. I think is uh is kind of uh kind of compelling to me. Um see <laughs> Matt is now saying I'm moving on too quickly from the Nicker Breakers. We haven't even considered the relation to the cicada. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Oh well. Um but um Yeah, no, evil Dr. Ken and I agree the scorching flames that the evidence of scorching flames that we're going to see on Weathertop uh, does show that the what was there was fiery. Right. It's obviously not just a burst of light. Um, So uh, I think that the evidence is that these are, in fact, flames, though from the beginning. Let's see. No, he doesn't. I'm wrong about that. Is it called a white light at any point? Why did I have that in my head? Um, there came a light. It flashed and faded. It wasn't dawn. Uh, it's like lightning, says Strider. Yes, the white flashes. Okay, I knew I didn't make that up completely. Um, the flashes are white, so the, the, the light is... So it's not orange. It's not like flame, right? These are not fireballs that Gandalf is throwing, right? This, this is not, this is not simply explosions. Um, uh, it's, yeah. Now, Fourth Thoughtless, I know that lightning will scorch too, but, uh, it's tricky, right? Because the, Gandalf, the magical light that Gandalf can do, right, is um, compared to lightning frequently, right? Uh, First, compared to lightning by Bilbo in a line which I never quite understood, right, when I was a kid. When uh, Bilbo is lying on the floor saying, struck by lightning, struck by lightning, Um, that's, that's, um, that's uh, clearly in reference to the flash of Gandalf's staff, right? Gandalf has just lit up the end of his staff in a bright blue flash. Um, yeah, yeah. So we have that connection between lightning that it looks at least to Bilbo like a lightning flash, right? 
Aragorn here compares it to a lightning flash, but I don't know that that's enough for us to imagine that what Gandalf is actually doing is hurling lightning bolts, right? When Strider mentions it, he says, it's like lightning that leaps up from the hilltops. So that sentence says to me two things, right? It has this, this light that we're seeing in the distance has both similarities and differences to lightning, right? I mean, he's, they're trying to explain it. And notice there are two natural phenomena that they bring up, right? The, first, the narrator, and second, Strider. That could possibly explain this. It's nighttime. They see a light in the distance in the east, right? There are two natural phenomena that would easily explain this. One would be dawn, right? If you're seeing a light in the east, maybe it's the dawn. It's not the dawn, right? Besides, the dawn doesn't go in and come out like that, right? But anyway, we, we, we settle that right at the very beginning. Secondly, we get lightning, right? That it could be lightning striking the hills off in the distance. That, sure, that could quite possibly be happening. So Strider says it's like lightning, right? In the sense that it flashes and disappears, um, but it's leaping up, right? So it's similar to lightning in some way, similar color, uh, similar activity, right? But it's like lightning that leaps up from the hilltops, right? So it's like lightning in every way except one. This is clearly not coming down from the clouds to the hills, right? Um, this is lightning which is coming up from the hilltop. Um, so, does that mean that Gandalf is hurling lightning bolts? I don't think it means necessarily. It doesn't disprove it, right? It's possible, but I don't think that this proves that Gandalf is throwing lightning bolts, right? Because if Gandalf were throwing lightning bolts, he would surely not be chucking them up into the sky, right? So I don't think that, again, what he's describing is a literal description of what's happening. He's just saying there's flashes of light. It looks like flashes of light, like lightning, except it's not originating in the clouds. It's originating on the ground, right? So that makes it not normal lightning, right? Clearly. Now, Tony... You are absolutely right that, um, uh, uh, Tony Mead, you're absolutely right that we can't forget Gandalf's sheaf of lightning, right? Uh, when in the Return of the Shadow, uh, in the early drafts, the first draft of the, the confrontation at Crick Hollow, the Black Riders, uh, break into the house and Gandalf is right behind them, right? And it's Gandalf, uh, who chases them out of town. And, Gandalf chases out, chases them out of town, hurling a sheaf of lightning at them, right? So that Gandalf would use lightning in combat against the Black Riders has direct textual basis in the drafts anyway, right? And if there's one thing that we've learned, uh, from reading the history of middle, uh, the history of the Lord of the Rings together in the Mythgard Academy series. It's that Tolkien never throws anything away, right? If a scene or a concept goes to the cutting room floor, it, he doesn't throw them on the floor. He doesn't have a cutting room floor. He's got a drawer, right? He's got a drawer in which he takes all of those cuttings, whether they be names or characters or scenes or even phrases or words, right? Anything that he cuts out, right? He puts it in the drawer. And a lot of the time, this very frequently, those things will come out of the drawer, right? And back in to another scene later on uh, in uh, in in the story. So yeah, belongs not exactly. Never never drop. Just recontextualize. Um, so um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so... Uh, See, JJ uh, saying maybe Glamdring has an electric damage in, 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 uh, uh, enchantment. See, that's exactly how I want to avoid thinking about this. Uh, I'm trying to avoid Gandalf casting the third level D&D spell Lightning Bolt. I am trying to avoid, uh, uh, y- you know, thinking about, like, the, the Nazgul being... Um, uh, being vulnerable to electrical damage. I don't think that that's the way we're meant to be thinking about this here. Uh, you know, this that kind of thinking is very alien uh, to Tolkien's thoughts. So I'm trying uh, to resist that kind of thinking here. The one, th- oops, sorry. The one thing that is very clear. Um, I got poor Narnian went to AFK there. The one thing that's very clear is that. Strider and Frodo are trying to make sense of what they're seeing and it, they know it's not normal and they seem both of them kind of interested in like explaining that it's, uh, um, in explaining that, that it's normal or like wishing that it's normal, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's lightning, right? But Strider acknowledges that right away. It's like lightning, but it's not lightning, right? It's something else. Um, it's too distant to make out. He doesn't know. Frodo lies down again to sleep, but for a long while he could still see the white flashes, and against them, the tall, dark figure of Strider standing silent and watchful. Now, Strider at least, um, Strider at least knows where Weathertop is, right? He's got to be thinking. This is, that's probably, that's at least the Weathertop direction, right? Um, this image of Strider standing silent and watchful is really cool, right? Um, it's uh, it's really neat uh, to see you know Strider standing watch over the hobbits and everything. It's that's that's a great image, but we also I think are invited uh, to imagine what is going on in his head, right? Um, and that is that he is uh, he's staring at the fire, trying to think not only about what is that and what could that be, um, but what should we do about it? Um, I, Evil Dr. Cannon is saying, since Gandalf is known for lights, I wonder if Strider is thinking it might be him. Um, Perhaps. Perhaps. But I've got to think. I've got to think that um, if you're Strider, what are you thinking, right? Are you thinking that's probably the Nazgul? Probably not making the light, right? Why would they, right? After all, as far as he knows, they are surrounded by the Nazgul, probably all nine of them, right? 
All nine of them are out. They're going to be on the road. They're going to be looking maybe in the woods behind us, right? Trying to track us. We're here in the middle of the swamp. The only place where we are, though deeply uncomfortable, safe, probably, from the Black Riders. They'll they'll never catch up with us here. Um, but they're surrounding us, right? Why are they going to be shooting off fireworks on the hilltop, right? They're not going to be shooting off. They're not going to be... Even if they can do that, and maybe he would know that they wouldn't do that, he's got to be thinking that that's a fight, right? Probably a fight against the Nazgul. And that's a good sign, right? That the Nazgul would be up ahead of him is almost a no-brainer, right? I mean, the whole point is they're leaving the road and going to it uh, in a direction which is definitely a short, uh, a long cut, right? Be- in the sense that it's going to take them much longer to go straight across the marshes than it would take to go on the firm road around it, right? So he's definitely taking, on purpose, a long cut. Um, clearly, the riders on their horses will have had plenty of time to get ahead of them. He knows that there are Nazgo up there. There's, there's, there's almost certain to be Nazgo up there. But if there's bright flashes of light, that's probably a good sign, right? Whether it's Gandalf or whether there's, there's some other reason, that's got to be... If somebody is fighting the Nazgul up ahead, that's that can only be a good thing. Um, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon, I, I, I agree. We, we don't know who else it could be. Amethorn says it could also be Radagast. He was in this area, right? Can't totally rule it out, I suppose. Um, but... Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I agree. This this image of him looking and uh, just sort of not knowing what to do, as Kimber says, uh, you know, he knows the lights are from near Weathertop, so does he head that way or avoid it? That's the real question, right? I think one of the things we're getting a glimpse of here is Strider having to make choices, which he's not even, the hobbits aren't even really following necessarily, right? Um, to Frodo, this is kind of a curiosity, Right, he passes into uneasy sleep, but he does just roll over and go to sleep in the end. Right, um, whereas Strider stands and watches it. What does he do? Does this mean is this reason that he should avoid Weathertop, or is this more reason to go to Weathertop? Well, we'll come back to this. Um, JJ asks, does he think it could be a signal um, or something? Uh, Tony White, uh, Whitehead says uh, Radagast seems unlikely. Was he spoken of previously in this story? No, not yet. He's not been mentioned. But, of course, when he does get mentioned, when Gandalf brings up the fact that he's around, um, you know, that he met with him and he delivered Saruman's message, it's right near Bree that he meets up with him. Right now, Radagast does take off to go right away, right, as soon as, uh, as, soon, as soon as he's done with his conversation with Gandalf. So we don't really see any reason to believe that Radagast is still lingering uh, in the greater Bree region. But it's it's not impossible, right? But it seems to me very unlikely, and it's hard for me to think that um, that's going to be Aragorn's chief theory, right, about that. So anyway... Um, uh, but again, to come back to yet again to Kimber's point, does he head that way or avoid it? Um, is the, you know, the flashes of light, is that more reason to avoid Weathertop or less reason to avoid Weathertop? Um, and I'm thinking, um, 
Uh, it's obviously Aristor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Definitely Oakwig, I agree. <laughs> Finn says, it's Saruman! And no, 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 definitely not. Um, Kimber suspects that some elves could possibly make flashy lights. Maybe? We don't really know. Uh, I don't see any real reason to think that they would, but who knows? Um, the elves made Sting and Glamdring, right? And those make flashy lights in a fight, so possibly? Uh, I don't know. Um, but, sorry, somebody was just asking about uh, whether it could be a signal. That would be another explanation of it, right? Is somebody is somebody doing, you know, uh, well, not smoke signals, but light signals? Possibly. That would be potentially another explanation. That would seem to me a little unlikely, and I wouldn't think that Strider would think it terribly likely, because what you would do, right, would be something like make a big fire and, like, hold a blanket in front of it, right, to make it blink, right? You couldn't send up flashes. You're not going to have a flare or fireworks or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't think, uh, um, yeah, exactly. Just like the, just like the beacons is the kind of thing though. Again, you could be a little more precise than, than just the beacons, but exactly as a couple of you are pointing out, um, uh, Gandalf is, has made a special study of, 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 uh, smokes and lights and, uh, fire and pyrotechnics, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that seems, uh, it seems like Gandalf would be, has gotta be your number one theory, right? Even if you're, uh, uh, even if you're Aragorn here, um, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the marshes. Now, you're right, uh, Tim, that they do have that signal that they send up at Minas Morgul, right? That beacon of, of, of light into the air. Um, so it is possible, right? I suppose that that's a possibility that he could be thinking maybe the Nazgul are making the light somehow. The Witch King could probably pull it off. Probably, right? Um, is he up there signaling to the other Nazgul? That could be... Away exactly, Kimber was just thinking that the Nazgul signaling to each other. Maybe, maybe. Um, that's gotta be at least a theory that Strider's probably entertaining, right? Um, but here's the main thing I would want to emphasize here, um, is that, uh, um, it's Frodo's reaction, right? Uh, it's not just that Strider is standing guard, it's that Frodo, that image of Frodo seeing Strider standing guard, right, um, does roll over and go to sleep, and presumably the rest of the hobbits are already asleep, right? Um, as far as we can see, it's Frodo who's lying awake and noticing this, right? The others have probably already fallen asleep. Um, here's Strider, them leaving Strider. Do they even take turns on watch? It's not obvious that they do, right? Have they even advanced to that level yet? Are they sufficiently experienced adventurers that that occurs to them? You know, I don't know. Um, but 
but I like this image of this image of trust, right? Not only of Frodo asking him. So we see we see his trust for Strider in a couple ways, right? Yeah, exactly, Tony Whitehead. I, I do think that we see uh, that trust deepening here. Um, not only just that that really quite touching image of him lying there, falling asleep, watching Strider, um, you know, standing guard, um, but even just his question. Right, the fact that he sees this strange light, he knows no explanation for it, so he asks Strider. Right, surely, maybe Strider would know. Um, yeah, Tony's wondering: Does poor Aragorn ever get to sleep? We have not seen much evidence. Right, uh, Aragorn is is clearly operating on a fair level of sleep deprivation here, which just shows how heroic he is. Right. Um, so, um, <laughs> JJ says he can sleep when he's king. Exactly. I think that's pretty much his philosophy. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Strider's pretty much my role model here. Um, <laughs> no sleep till Elrond. Yeah, that works, Tony. That works. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bricktail says he might just be saying he stays up like Butterbur. Uh yeah, you'll notice that the narrator does not give us uh, any of the kind of doubt, right, that was injected into that comment about Butterbur there. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, very good. Um <laughs> Excellently. Uh I don't think that his connection to elves would lead to him needing less sleep, um, as uh, he is not his uh, connection back to elves is dozens of generations back now. So I can't imagine that has a big uh, that has a big uh, plays a big factor there. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Interesting. Cecilia was saying it is another interesting thing that they were talking about Aragorn in sleep. Yeah. Um, uh, we know that his power of sleep deprivation is great, right? We'll see that later on. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I definitely think his, uh, his ability just to not sleep when he needs to is, is clearly very pronounced, right? One of the things that makes him heroic. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. What time is it? Aren't we're doing great. No, we're not. Sorry, I just realized what time it actually is. Um, one more. One more. They had not gone far on the fifth day when they left the last straggling pools and reed beds of the marshes behind them. The land before them began steadily to rise again. Away in the distance eastward, they could now see a line of hills. The highest of them was at the right of the line, and a little separated from the others. It had a conical top, slightly flattened at the summit. That is Weathertop, said Strider. The old road, which we have left far away on our right, runs to the south of it, and passes not far from its foot. We might reach it by noon tomorrow, if we go straight towards it. I suppose we had better do so. What do you mean? asked Frodo. I mean, when we do get there, it is not certain what we shall find. It is close to the road. 
Okay. Um, so the land is beginning to rise again towards the hills, right? They finally have left the, the marshes behind. Um, they see a line of hills. So we get this, this description of Weathertop, the line of hills and slightly separated. Um, the, uh, the peak of Weathertop with its, with its conical top flattened at the summit. Um, notice the main thing that I notice here in this passage is, well, I don't want to be unkind. Um, I was about to say shows Frodo's cluelessness, but maybe that would be unkind. Um, I mean, in Frodo's question, what do you mean, right? On the one hand, it seems like Frodo does, like it doesn't even occur to him about the danger that there could be, right? Um, I suppose we had better do so. What do you mean? Asked Frodo, right? Um, now we could give Frodo the benefit of the doubt here in saying that, of course, he knows that it's dangerous to get close to the road, uh, and he realizes that there might be danger, but that Frodo, um, rather, sorry, that Strider seems to be hinting at something in particular. I suppose we had better do so. What do you mean, you suppose, right? Explain your thinking here. Um, we could see it that way, right? Um, I... But then again, I'm reluctant to give the hobbits too much credit, as they have done a pretty bad job of earning uh, much respect in this regard. Um, yeah, yeah. But Ambrosius, Ambrosius, I do think that he is detecting the reluctance in Aragorn's voice. Um, and good, Mungley points out that we have a lowercase e in the e- in eastward here, away in the distance eastward. And Mungley, that that certainly seems to be an example of simply using it as a, a compass direction, right? Eastward. Uh, I'd be very surprised if that were capitalized. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. The Mad Violinist is suggesting that this is uh, Frodo detecting the contrast between the reassuring confidence with which Strider has been speaking to this point, right? And the doubt and uncertainty that he is giving voice to here. I suppose we had better do so. Um, and that seems to me, that seems to me right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, because notice what Strider is expressing, right? He's not giving an opinion or expressing uncertainty about whether Weathertop would be safe or about um, what they will find when they get there or anything like that. What he's expressing uncertainty is about is whether or not it would be best for them to go there, right? He is leading up to the decision that he needs to make and which presumably he's been thinking about since the night they saw the flashes in the sky. Right, um, which is more than one day ago. Uh, that's um, they had not gone far on the fifth day. Some time has passed since that night. Um, it's 
I think, two days. Uh, between when they see the lights from the marshes and when they arrive at, um, uh, at Weathertop. If I'm remembering my chronology correctly, though, of course, as those of you who studied the history of the Lord of the Rings with me know, I didn't pay that much attention to the chronology, right? So I might be wrong about that. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt, I agree. The moment you say, I suppose we had better do so, implies that there, there, you know, there's a reason not to. Absolutely. If that sentence wasn't there, there would be no reason to question heading straight there. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Alex, from the distance they were at, would Aragorn have known the lights were coming from Weathertop? He's got to know that it's at least from the direction. He's got to, he's got to know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, right. Okay, good. You guys are checking the calendar. So it was the night before this. So it was, this, so that we are still in the next day after the lights. We're just not there to Weathertop yet. Um, okay, right. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. So we're still, although he, he's deciding whether or not to head for it, it's not like they're there. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes up the gap of distance uh, of time rather that I was thinking of. Um, yeah, Blue Wizard, we could turn Frodo's comment entire, almost entirely in the opposite direction, right? And be thinking when he says, what do you mean? It might mean, you know, he, he might be querying not the reluctance in Strider's voice, but the decision, right? I suppose we had better do so. What do you mean? What do you mean we had better go to Weathertop, right? It's possible that that's what Frodo, uh, uh, that that's what Frodo was saying. That doesn't seem to be how Strider takes it, right? When he says, I mean, when we do get there, it is not certain what we shall find. It is close to the road. Um, that sounds like Strider, at least, um, believes that uh, uh, Frodo is asking him why he is doubtful. Um, as if Frodo assumes they're going to go to or by Weathertop. Um, now, keep in mind, there's a reason for him to do this. Remember, Strider brought up Weathertop back in the inn at Bree, right? He told them he was going to make for Weathertop. So as far as they have known, from the day they set out from Bree, Weathertop has been their destination, Right. Uh, and now that, so, so now what happens? Now they see it in the distance, right? There it is. There's our destination. And now Strider, who was the guy who brought up Weathertop and has been leading them in this direction, is now suddenly saying, Matt, exactly as you were pointing out, with obvious doubt in his own voice, I suppose we had better go to Weathertop. What do you mean you suppose we had better? You, you were, it was your idea in the first place, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think, uh, uh, that, that Frodo is querying his uncertainty, right? His, why is he changing the plan? Because the plan was to go to Weathertop. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we're going to stop there next time. Next time we're going to begin with Strider's decision. Right, he's. We will see him make his choice to go to Weathertop. Now, I said last time there are, you know, there are a bunch of things, a bunch of themes that I want to track over the course of, you know, all of the rest of the book. Um, I 
This is, I think, a really interesting one. This is a really important one. Strider making decisions. Especially Strider making decisions that don't actually pan out that well, right? Um, I think there's a, there's a reasonably sized category of that kind of thing, right? So, and here's our first example. Uh, and we've seen this building up. We've seen Strider. This is not a hasty resolve, right? This is not a, this is not a knee jerk decision. Strider is building up to this and he's been thinking about this now at least since the night before. And probably before, is it a good idea to make towards Weathertop? What do those flashes of light mean? What might we find if we go to Weathertop? What are the reasons to go? What are the reasons not to go? Um, so let's uh, let's come back next week and uh, we'll look at Strider's decision-making process. Um, and uh, yeah, Kimber, we did get pretty far. Right? All the way across the marshes today. That is pretty awesome. So we're going to stop here. Um, we, I don't think we've done this many slides in ages. Right? That was amazing. We did like two slides last week. Um, whereas this week we did what? Six? What? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, five. Still, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of slides. All right. Um, very good. So we will, uh, we'll come back to this next week uh and but now it's time for our field trip so i'm going to say goodbye uh to the folks on twitter who have been so much enjoying watching me upside down uh for uh for the last couple hours um i encourage you to join us on twitch.tv uh, so twitch.tv slash signum you um where you will be able to see me in the proper uh vertical orientation so that'll be good and um uh, and we'll do our field trip. Our field trip today is the Midgewater Marshes. We're going to go see those in games. So we'll meet Neeker Breakers and all kinds of things. There we go. Okay. Bring your off deep woods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Good Good evening, everybody. This is Valoria. I'm on his Kofi tonight. Okay. Very good. So, um, so yes, we're going. we're going local today. We are back to... Uh, looking at terrain covered in the book. So we can see the direct <laughs> adaptation of the landscape descriptions that we were just reading, which is, um, which is really fun. I always look forward to these. So we could be like the parade of really bored people and kids following them out of town. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Man, I totally did not see that line until I, I just started reading it to my 11 year old and she she made me stop and read that line again and she's like wait a minute so there's like just a bunch of people tagging around because they had nothing better to do yeah yeah exactly well and, i mean this yeah, is a big event yeah you know, oh this, yeah all the horses got stolen exactly <laughs> this is a i mean you gotta think no work is getting done in brie today right uh -huh. i mean everyone is going to be too busy gossiping about the uh you know, like what happened to the prancing pony? Who stole all the horses? Like, what does it have to do with the Hobbit? Did you hear the story about how he vanished and went slap through the floor without leaving a hole? Right. And then like they left with in striders involved. Oh my goodness. Like there is so much to talk about in Brie right yes. now. Yeah. No and that way. bill that nobody liked. Yeah, exactly. They even bought Bill Fernie's pony. Does this mean they're in league with Bill Fernie? 
right? Is this is there some kind of conspiracy? Were they involved in the horse stealing? I mean, you know, but Butterbur Why did Bill have the horse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no, I mean, there's there's so many angles here, right? There's so many uh, uh, so many things for the uh, the Brew and gossips and pundits to discuss here this morning. That um, uh, and you know they're all talking about it like as loudly as possible behind them while they're all walking out of town. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, let's, um, let's get on the march. We're just gonna, we're not, we, we, no stable master tonight. Yep. We're just going to walk out of town. Now, of course, the first thing we're going to notice, you know, the first thing we're going to get is a, um, an example of the extreme compression of distance. That is, uh, yes. (laughs) So noticeable. Uh, in Lotro, and and I I get it. I've always gotten it. You know, I understand that this is very. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 pretty much necessary, right? I I understand why they do oh, it. Oh yeah, it would be impossible was, to get anywhere. I was telling that. Yeah, I was telling that to my daughter because she was like, "Well, you know, we we went across the entire shower shire and like you know." 10 minutes. And I'm right. like, yeah. Can you imagine how much fun it would be if it actually took us two days to get out of the Shire? Of, yeah. You know, constant walking and maybe, you know, a day and a half riding. She goes, oh, yeah, that would be awfully boring. Yeah, but it, it really kind of would. The, the game really does help me just sort of fill in the blanks for, you know, this traveling stuff. But yes, I do find myself reading the book and saying, okay, they're heading towards the Midwatcher Marshes. They're probably there. And then I got to backtrack because they mentioned someplace like Chetwood or Arch or something like that. And I go, oh, okay, back up, back up. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, So just a quick answer to a question. uh, uh, um, uh, So someone was asking what server we're on, Crick Hollow. And how you find that out each week is you go to forums.signumuniversity.org. We have an Exploring the Lord of the Rings discussion forum there. Um, That's also where you can post uh, questions and things that I might cover at the beginning of class. I didn't do that today, but uh, Uh I I often do. Um, And on there is also a calendar, uh, and that lists which server we're on uh, on the given week. So, As Um, long as all the other stuff we're doing, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like my uh, when I do Girls of Mythgard, like every other Sunday. That's right. That's right. Okay, I think we're all here, so we're gonna we're gonna head out. Um, following the path, their path as they would have come from the prancing pony down, so we can imagine this. I love that thinking about like this overpass, right, with these windows up here, like the, these windows lined uh-huh. with people watching them, right, as they're riding. Yeah, everybody hanging there. out. Yeah. Or you know, the ones pretending to hang out their laundry because they. You know, Right. want to watch surreptitiously the crowds in the square right as they would have been you know again the children running around and um yeah yeah and then of course and that window we, has sometimes has people at it some of these windows actually have people going back and forth in them too which i love yeah that's cool that's cool um uh cool um all right so one quick um so, oh, actually, yeah, Bricktails. No, thank you for bringing that up. Bricktails brought up the fact that uh, uh, the Signum Academy site uh, is having trouble right now. All of our websites are having trouble right now because we are <laughs> under attack from Easterlings again. The Easterlings are attacking. Uh, we are taking measures. Uh, but, you know, this is... Um, I kept... I, I Today, I kept uh, thinking of Treebeard's... Um, 
lines, you know, him talking about like a, uh, orc work, you know, like the, the wanton hewing. And like, it just it makes me think of web hackers like this, like why, why it's more senseless than cutting down trees and leaving them to rot. Like, why do you do this? Why do you just like <sighs> try to, you know, overwhelm websites and take them down? Like, I don't, I don't. Oh uh, yeah. I don't no, I hate it. when they do work out here because we have so many trees out here. And then every now and then I just come to a total, you know, barren field full of ripped up roots. And I, I just sit there going, many of these trees were my friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very depressed. It's dumb. It's really, I don't get it. But anyway, that's what's happening. So we, we, we're, we you know, we've got several services and we're working on it. We, we will get it together. Actually, ironically, um, the real problem is not even uh, the Signum University site. It's actually the Tolkien Professor site, my old TolkienProfessor.com site, which is connected with our other sites, and it's it's taken the whole thing down right now. But it's actually the Tolkien Professor mm-hmm. site itself that's under uh, attack, it seems. But whatever, anyway, we'll... We'll sort it out, but if it's it's not just you, and we do know about it, and we're working on it, so we'll, we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, so... Uh, notice we just already passed what it took them like two days to do because there are the marshes yeah. right there in front of us. Right? Yeah, but you got to think they weren't even leaving town until like you know almost evening. Right. But well, the- it was like yeah, it was like the middle of the day. But but anyway, so they left town. So th- then they went off into the woods, right? So we're, let's, let's go off into the woods and let's do some zigging and zagging, right? So okay, so we go off into the woods and whoops, there's Staddle. Hey, look, we can see Staddle through the trees, right? There's some hobbit holes from Staddle. Okay, I can't see. Maybe we could see wisps of smoke, smoke from Coom. Not really so much here, but okay. So I guess this is kind of like where we left, but there's not enough woods here to lose even Bill Fernie in, right? But um, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it is technically the Chatwood, so... Technically, yeah. Yeah. Um, who's that? Uh, she is the spirit of this little pond over here. Really? Yeah. Why have I never met her? Uh, it's, uh... You don't... I don't know. Do you, it's, she's among all these saddle quests. No, she's Apparently, not. Uh, no. Yeah. Did I miss yeah, one? Yeah, she is. Did I yeah, miss there's whole... like What?! There's a, what? some sort of, yeah, you have to identify a poison that was being fed to a dog or something, I think. <gasps> the dog poison quest. I remember yes. the dog poison quest. Yeah, because it's all the way back in, like, Staddle. Staddle, yeah, no, I remember that. I, sorry, this is uh, like you were seeing the chagrin of a completionist who must have missed a quest <laughs> somewhere. No, it's just... How many years ago? Like seven years ago? Yeah, that's ago? also possible. It's also possible that Wigan did this when I started playing years I'm ago. I'm pretty sure now. we did it with Wigan, but that was, yeah. oh, ages ago. Ages. But I would think I would remember, you know, like, Goldberry's country cousin here. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, it's setting the precedent for water elementals as they're going to pop well, up even more. Well, that's it, right? Absolutely. And and this is, uh, you know, and I would say, though obviously, you know, again, this is this is another one of those classic examples, right? Where somebody can look at this and be like, that's not in the book, right? Which it's not. Like, it's totally not in the book. There's no reference uh, to any country cousin of Goldberry's living in a pond right next to Bree. Um, but the fact is, this is actually very true to... Um, very good point, JJ is saying. Yeah. JJ is saying that actually Goldberry technically would be the country cousin, wouldn't she? J- uh, w- 
<laughs> Willow Song is practically a city mouse by comparison, but uh, yeah, she's more metropolitan, I guess. Yeah, but I, she's I got a very small so. bond. It is, a but very yeah. Small um, wasn't it in the is, poems that mentioned that she had her sisters and her mother? Well, yeah, but and not only that, but just the the general sense that we get, and most clearly in those early drafts, <clears throat> that this idea of the landscape having spirits that dwell within it uh, and which sort of animate uh, the landscape. That's uh, that's clearly an idea in Tolkien's mind. He removes many of the references from them, but I think, and here it's it's good to recall one of the cautions that Christopher Tolkien gives uh, in his commentaries uh, in the History of Middle-Earth series, that just because Tolkien cuts something out of a text doesn't necessarily prove that he's changed that idea, right? He just, just decided to cut the reference the story. to it. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, there is be one of those science fiction, in, you know, Frank Herbert info dumps or something like that after right, a while. Right. It's, yeah, exactly. Which uh, Tolkien is actually pretty good about not doing in the middle of his stories, right? No, um, I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> hey, look, there's a fox. There's a fox yeah, right there spying that, on us. It's part of the... Oh, and I think, Tarlonio, was it you who made the joke about the Fox News Network? That was pretty good, actually. I, I, I saw that briefly as that went by. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so the, the idea that there are these spirits around, I really quite like that in the game. And I really like yeah. um, what they do with that because I, I, I'm pretty convinced, really, that that's one of the ideas which Tolkien cut out references to but really didn't change. Um, the I, fact I think, that we, he kept yeah. Goldberry does imply that he, met, he exactly. kept the idea anyway. Exactly. Uh, it does make me a little sad we didn't get uh, more characters like this in areas like Angmar, who would kind of explain what was happening to the land. Right, exactly. Yeah, it would be kind of nice to have one of them involved in a quest there so that we could get more of that. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we did get those water spirits, which were apparently tortured and corrupted, but we don't get anyone... Uh, we don't get anyone like this. Maybe it's just that these, it's perhaps she's one of Goldberry's sisters in the sense that she's one of these spirits associated with waters and or flowers and or flowers on waters uh, who um, are uh, also more closely connected with humans, taking human form, interacting with people, right? That's not all spirits act like that. So, um, yes. you know, perhaps... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. But here we were. Here I was, minding my own business, zigging and zagging like Strider did on the fringes of the Chetwood, which I have to be really careful because if you go just a touch further, you're in Stato itself because yeah. again, this thing that they took a day or more to journey is like a hundred yards in the game before we come down and enter the Chetwood, no, or the, the Midgewater Marshes. I'm still not used yeah. to all of this foliage in the Midgewater Marshes. That's so much greenery, I know. <laughs> I know. For those of you who are new to the game, the, uh, they did a, a sort of a cosmetic upgrade to the Breeland recently, and one of the things that they did was um, put much taller reeds, like you'll notice, these are reeds, right? Um, so mm-hmm. really, it's much more like uh, the description in the book. It's also more treacherous because you can't see the water as easily. 
Oh, um, it's worse if you're a hobbit on foot. Yeah, yeah, actually, let's get on foot. Let's get off horseback, because besides which, we're not in a hurry here. Uh, Apologies to all hobbits. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does make sense with this much more reeds, though, because that would explain why this one patch of land isn't, you know... Right. completely sunken or eroded exactly. away. And here I am but standing I, I, next to I see Polyus, what they mean by saying uh, there's yeah. no set path here. There's absolutely right. no set path. Yeah, there's no set path. Now we don't get we don't get quagmires, right? We don't get um but yeah when you're when you zoom in when you zoom in close here, right? When you're looking when you're looking from first person, um it's you know it's it's very difficult to see where you know even even as a human these reeds are above my head, some of these. Uh-huh. Right? Um, you, you would have to be a ranger to pick your way through here. Yes. Yes. Um, and we should find... There are Nika Breakers somewhere. Gosh, you can't see mobs anything like as well now, either. No, that's, that's oh, got to be I sure, I sure wouldn't want to have to do those Nika Breaker... Uh, like, uh, Slayer quests... Okay, well, here's a fly. Well, yeah, they were they were difficult enough, I think. Right. Now, that's a very large fly. Um, presumably slightly unrealistically large, but that's fine. <laughs> so our enemies here are flies and knickerbreakers. Wait, yep. where, here's one. I found one, a knickerbreaker. Wait, don't kill it yet. It's a big bug. Yeah. It's a huge bug. It's, it's almost like a burrowing cricket kind yes. of thing. Yes. Yes, and it's got flies' wings. And dude, did it just disease you? Yeah. Huh. Wow, I forgot they did that. Well, uh, that's actually true. I was looking up midges when you were asking information about midges, and because they are, you know, blood uh, tasting, blood sucking flies, they actually do have that risk of transmuted disease. Transmuting diseases, yeah, yeah. So I think we I think it was assumed by most that the one the the midges that inspired Tolkien were the ones that are native to Wales and the Highlands because okay. those are the that ones that are they bite and um they also uh do a little bit of burrowing as well similar to chiggers here in the US. Right. Okay. Um and they thrive in places like this. Yeah. Now we don't get any reference in the book to anything. What was that? Oh, that was a hobbit. <laughs> I was like, hey, was that another Nicker Breaker? No, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's a uh, hobbit. It's Pontin. There you go, Pontin. Sorry. I saw your hat running by and I thought it was a bug. My apologies. Um, so, <laughs> don't swat the hobbit. <laughs> don't swat the hobbits, exactly. Um, there's no reference to any kind of structures or anything in the Midwater Marshes. It's just, it's, it's clear that it's too swampy for that. Right, we yeah. do get more firm ground here. They don't try to make the Midgewater march- marshes like uh, old forest levels of of confusing, right? Nor do yeah, they, thank goodness. Uh, thank goodness. Um, nor do they make the whole thing marshy. We do get um, we do get land, and in particular, we get ruins here. And I have to admit, I find the ruins, at least these ruins, rather puzzling. Um, yeah. What are we meant to believe that these were? I mean, we can't imagine. I mean, there are Norian ruins, obviously. We've got the stars and things clearly marked on these columns and capitals here. Um, well, obviously, this is the first castle that sank into the swamp. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. But, well, all we get are these pillars. 
Couldn't it have been yep. an aqueduct that went through here? It would make sense to have water delivered. If the, and it does imply there's been a long period of time, so maybe this brackish water at one yeah. point had more water to it, and it wasn't as stagnant and awful. Maybe. Hey, look at how these line up. I'm thinking aqueduct here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know what these are for. Another aqueduct? Uh, maybe? I don't know. But... But yeah. We're kind of getting lost because the grass is too tall. Yeah, exactly. It's a little, it's a little challenging here uh, to stay together. Um, but of course, here we're meeting the. Well, okay, I, I think it's gone. It'll probably respawn before long. The other, uh, the other mob, the other uh, hostile, right? That we get in mm-hmm. the marshes, and those are goblins. Um, There's a big king statue here. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice that myself. Notice he's on a sunken platform, right? Yeah, yeah, I see the sunken platform. Just like we've seen in other places. Yeah, and the wall here is actually curved around it. Yeah, yeah, this one was clearly a courtyard of some kind, something like that. Yeah. Now, have we seen this statue? Um, I think so. I think there's another one similar to the other edge of the Chetwood with um, a couple of Bree ruins over there. I'm not sure if this is similar to the ones we saw in the North Downs. That he's holding what clearly seems to be a Palantir is really interesting. Um, yes. Ah, Br- Bricktails was wondering if uh, this uh, the ruins here might be evidence of an old raised road or something through the marshes. No, see, I think that this here is evidence of the fact that this didn't used to be a marsh, perhaps. Yes, because we do have the raised road. It's further. It's further on the other side where the actual road is. Right. Right. Well, there's no there's no empty cobbles over here. There's nothing to indicate that they tried to pay for this at all. Right. This just sort of indicates uh, maybe a change. Let's take a look around and see what the water area looks like. Because there seems to be more of a definite river with Midgewater Pass that leads to, what was it? Where is it in the Lonelands? Yeah, Midgewater Pass and the Bleak Rift. There seems to be more of a, a something that used to be a, a bigger river. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because at Bricktail's suggestion, the statue is planning to throw the Palantir at somebody's head. Um, uh, Gandalf does that in one of the early drafts in the Battle of Pelennor Field. He has the Palantir and he chucks at it and brains somebody with it. Um, in frustration, like he takes and he throws the Palantir in frustration and uh, brains Man's it. Man's got a temper on him. Yeah. Yeah, that, that um, needs to be a weapons option for for like a lore master or something. Yeah, the pa- a palantir as missile weapon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm just looking for a second at his crown. Uh huh. What's up with that? Uh, let me change my graphics setting. I was doing party stuff earlier. Because <laughs> he's wearing a crown. Now, on the one hand, that seems normal, right? You know, he's a king, yeah. he's, he's wearing a crown, but they don't have crowns. The king of Anuminus, the king up here in the north, Arnorian kings didn't do crowns. They did, huh. they did the scepter of Anuminus. Yes. 
That it's a Numenorean king seems all but certain by the fact that he's holding a palantir in his hand. We believe that, yes, Gondor had a crown and Arnor a staff, but the Gondorian crown doesn't look like that. Um, and anyway, this isn't the king of Gondor. Clearly not the king That's of Gondor. Hey, definitely looking a, a little more iron crowny. Yeah, a little yeah. bit more iron, but not. It's not full scale iron crown, though. I mean, I don't think this is an Angmarim statue. No, I don't think so either. Not by the. Um, Maybe it's just a lesser weenie king. It's possible. What's that symbol on his base there? Yeah, I was just looking at that too. I would have expected if this was the king of Rudauer that if there's a symbol down at the bottom, yeah, this thing that looks kind of vaguely sunburstish. Yeah, here. I was thinking a sunburst too. Yeah. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's, well, I mean, there's no indication of any Rudaran symbol, besides which, it would be a little odd for a Rudaran king to be depicted with the Palantir. I mean, the whole yeah. point, uh, presumably it's the Palantir of Weathertop we're talking about, but whether or no, the kings of Arthodyne were the only dudes with Palantiria, like they were the only Arnorian kings with Palantiria, apart from the old kings. Um, so, I mean, and they were fighting over Weathertop, and we're getting closer to Weathertop. Those would be what we yeah. can see in the distance there vaguely behind the king here are the Weather Hills. Um, but the, getting closer to Weathertop... They, that is, Arthodyne and Cardolan and Rudauer, were all fighting over Weathertop not only because it was a key strategic position in the area, but because of the Palantir and the Tower of Amonsul. Um, uh -huh. And with the way that he's holding up the Palantir there, it's very kind of tower-like, right? I mean, that him, a king holding yeah. up the Palantir like this, as if boastfully, right? Well, yeah, he's certainly not looking into it. It's a look what I got. Exactly. So the the way that he's holding the Palantir and the sword says uh -huh. to like his body, the body language of this statue says Arthodang to me, right? Like that's, yeah. this, 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 this looks like a king saying, dude, I've got the Palantir and you can't have it, right? So I'm holding my sword to defend the Palantir. This is my hand with the Palantir is like the Tower of Amonsul, right? And I've got my mm -hmm. sword here, and like you know, so you know, I've got this, and you can't do anything about it. Um, it's kind of like that Rudar statue we saw that had the staff of Gondor, even though he hadn't gotten it. Right. Remember. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, so I guess it could be wishful thinking on the part of the Rudarans, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think... So, uh, Rowan of Gondor asks, after the kingdom was divided, could the different kingdoms have adopted a crown? Yes, and I think we have positive evidence that at least within the game world, right, the way that they... Well, we don't know this for a fact from the text, of course, but um, it seems that Lotro is imagining, in fact, that the Rudarans did adopt a crown, and that I take from the fact that the Rudaran symbol of the forest um, looks so very crown-like, right? I mean, the symbol of Rudaur yes. is almost a crown. Now, of course... And, indi yeah, and indicates yeah. his being a puppet of the Iron Crown on exactly, top of that. Exactly, right. Too. Affiliated with the Iron Crown, um, but yet not identical to it. And so, yeah, I, I would strongly believe that the King of Rudaur would wear a crown. Um so that would fit with this, if not for the fact that 
I I mean, I guess Rudarin wishful thinking is. Uh, yeah. I, I, we I, had evidence of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of wishful thinking of that kind. Yeah. 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 Also, notice the the difference in the stone once again between the runes and the statue. Yes. Yes. Huh. So maybe this could be after. Like the the statue was erected later. Yeah, not really sure. Could be. There's that um, big fortress over there too. Yeah, we should probably look at that. Now, but thinking for a second about the goblin, so let's let's go over and look at the yeah uh, look at the ruin over here. Um, uh, this is mostly spiders over here, and yes, that's what I recall. Um, that's what I recall. Now, why goblins? Why have we added goblins to the marshes? Hmm. Well, I mean, see, it's hard. One is tempted to to just go the cop-out route and say, well, we had to add something, didn't we? Um, Yeah, but goblins seem to fit the sort of creepy, icky landscape. (laughs) It's, It's demeaning. It's unpleasant. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, Tolonio it, it has the seems like answer. something you'd send the, the yeah. little weenie underlings. Well, what was that? Uh, What's their perfect answer? To answer Sam's question. What do they uh, eat when they can't get high? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they live on. They okay, live on goblins. Sure. Yeah. I'm I like that. As opposed to the, the fact that they'd be part of a valuable ecosystem of keeping the fish alive. That's right. That's right. Okay. This is not a Rudaran ruin. Mm. What's this stuff all over here? Flowers? Yeah, these are flowers. It's like special, like old forest flowers, too. Yeah, who's... Exactly, these look like flowers from the old forest quest. Like endwife flowers. Who's, uh... There's a weird... the, The plinth is this weird sort of cobblestone. Yeah. Who's put flowers on here? We don't know. Huh. Um, you're right. Uh, uh, the, okay, I'm just going to call you Mary. Um, this does look like uh, Bronwyn's Folly in, in Archit, this room yeah. here. Um, uh, uh bit like Esteldine too that whole well except it's got ornamentation exactly. So it's unlike Esteldine. But but that's because it's not secret like Esteldine, you know. Esteldine oh, doesn't yes, have quite because very, it's very secret. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, Nobody knows it's there, not even the trolls who are trying to orcs who are trying to take it over. That's right. <laughs> and and the accountants. I think last week. I think this is Arthedanian. Because we don't see any Rudaran crowns. Right? No. Anywhere I don't yeah, see. Yeah, that's any. correct. We see staff of Gondor. So this was Arthur Danny. Oh, oh, big spider. Yeah. Okay. Big spider. That um, one always took me by surprise when. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not to mention the fact that I didn't barely even saw it in the in the bushes here. Um, oh yeah, this is this is just like um, the uh, the Blackwold's roost that one image carved in here. Yes, yes. 
And seven stars above his head? Yep. yep. Looks like uh-huh. it. Seven stars. So this looks like then the king in armor. Right? Yes. Okay. Well, a helm, if anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, he's armed in, in, and he's... Yes. Yes. The king girt for war here. Boy, I can't see anything anymore with all these reeds. Um, yeah. Yeah, boy, when I first... When I was on level, if I came around that corner and just, like, saw the back of that giant spider barely rising yeah. above the reeds and not even knowing oh, for yeah. sure what it was until it pounced on me, that would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah, no, that was like the Han Solo bout-face run kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally did. I, I actively remember kiting that spider around. Yeah, this this is generally where you see a lot of uh, like level like 14s just kiting around with yeah. scores of spiders behind. <laughs> yes, yes, I did that on several occasions. I remember Wigand running from spiders here. This hill is artificial. Which hill? The hill we're standing on. It's gotta be. Oh. Look at, the, look at how square it is. And right around the foundations of the... This looks like a uh, mound. Like, this this hill was raised here. You think? Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, it's it, too it could be just—it's either that or some sort of weather erosion, like really nasty stuff. It's possible. But. I don't know. I guess you could ask if they did raise that hill, then why didn't they put the whole thing up on it? Yeah, yeah. I can't explain everything, but oh no, it was definitely done after the fact. This is definitely a hill that was put in later. I don't know how much of it is deposits, though. Yeah, it looks like somebody was trying to fortify this old ruin or something like that. Maybe the foundations go down farther than we think. Maybe. Maybe that's part of it. Like like an old Mott and Bailey is kind of exactly what I was thinking of. That somebody is building it. Because, I mean, in a marsh like this, I mean, you're not going to get a natural hill in the middle of the marsh, right? So... If you were yeah, building yeah. this fortification, it would make sense to build it just like you would make a causeway. You know, you would make a. Um, you would, oh, can't jump over there? Or did I just do it badly? I lost everybody. The reeds are too tall. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm on the. What am I on? The west side, I suppose, of the ruin there? The west side is the best side. Oh, yeah, I see y'all. Okay. Looks like ants all running over the hill. Yeah. Okay, marsh water foot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could just be simply that the foundation really does go that far down. I mean, you'd want, if, even if the ground was just even not marshy, but, you know, definitely. With all the red here, I want to say it's clay deposit. Right. Kind of looks like it. But yeah, you'd need a really strong, deep foundation in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth Thomas was wondering if this could be a hill of the slain piled next to the walls of the fortress. That would be oh, intense. Like, like the yeah. death down? Yeah, I doubt it, though. That's, there's a monument like that in uh, Poland, I think, where it was 
just tears made by stacked up bodies in dirt or something like that. Right. No, I mean, and we see that, you know, in Tolkien several times, not only the death down um, of orcs, you know, after the battle of Helm's deep, but of course, most famously the uh, how Dingen after the, uh, after the near ninth Arnoidiad. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm going I'm going to continue my way through the marshes but of course again this primary difference between the game the in-game marshes and the book marshes are these ruins so I'm I'm immediately drawn to this other ruin over here which I have to go and investigate It feels like there's less just roving clouds of flies to annoy you too Yeah Isn't that a thing out here? Where you'd Was have it? like little clouds of buzzing gnats around you or something like that? I know they had those in the Shire. Didn't they used to be here? Maybe we just can't see him for all the reads. Where's, where's Weathertop? And I'm looking at which direction? So you think like oh, this is, is like where they're camping out? There it like, is. Maybe, yeah. maybe this hill's a little, go up to the top of the hill. Maybe that's a little taller. The problem is we also have to take into account the rendering yes. of the, the atmosphere. I can see Weathertop clearly directly to the east of us here. Um, you can tell Where's it's Weathertop because you can see the ruins of the Tower of Amonsul up there. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so it could be from somewhere like here that they could have seen the, the flashes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, notice that they also... Uh, they also get the direction right. I realize, and I don't know how I got turned around in my head this way, but I always used to, as a kid, I always used to imagine, for whatever reason, that they were to the south of the road. You know what I think it was? I think it's the shortcut they take in the Shire, because they, they go, you know, when they end yeah, up... Yeah, they, they go south of the nuggets, road over... They go yeah. south of the road. Uh, and I think that I, in my mind, connected the Midgewater Marsh's long cut, you know, with the the Marish shortcut uh, to such an extent that I always pictured them still being so- south of the loop of the, the great loop of the road. Um, and then when Strider says that about, you know, uh, the road being off on their right, I'm always having to like reorient myself. Um, but uh, yeah, well, no, for Thoughtless, they said that the flashes were off to the east. Cause remember there was the question about it's being a, uh, um, about its being like it, it's not dawn, right? Because it's off in the east. So um, that's definitely Weathertop. Plus, again, you can see the ruins pretty. If you if your graphics are on highest, you can see the ruins pretty clearly. Um, but again, so here we get more ruins. I love the dome. You know, what was this? Observatory. Huge scepter of Enuminous. And seven stars, right? This is a very kingly thing here, right? With, with the one star. No, unfortunately named Goblin Hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And notice the star on top is pointed up. I guess they are on the wall, too. It's a little weird. Yeah. Though. 
Yeah. What does they generally do on the wall? Huh. Do you think that that could be a sign? I never thought about this before. As many stars that as we've seen in ruins around here, um, I've never thought about this before. Could the star with the point pointed down be evidence of an earlier architectural style closer to Numenor so that they remember the light shining down on Numenor, whereas as time went past and that corruption, that that uh, tradition rather became more corrupt, uh, they started carving their uh, their stars with the point up? Or forgot why, the, yeah, forgot what it was for in the first yeah. place, yeah. I mean, it's not like they I, had, I also had like no it's lore, got like the. Yeah. Yeah, it's also like the whole uh it's almost like Joseph's dream right here where you have the the one star up at the top and the six sort of bowing down to it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting with the scepter right in the middle and the star above the scepter. So there's still with the star above the scepter, you would think that would be a kind of a of a recollection of, you know, of the star and of Elena the, you know, the land of gift, but um but uh but yeah, it does kind of now that you bring up Joseph's dream, it does remind me of that um yeah so that does look like a piece of an overall dome though yeah you wonder what's on the other leaves of the dome at some point yeah yeah i can't help but wonder that too before it burnt down fell over then sank into the swamp yeah apparently here's a bit oh here's another leaf yeah, yeah. you can see that's the triangle shape it's the same thing yeah yeah, I think so. It's hard to tell. I only see one star in here. Two stars. Yeah, I think it's probably the same. And Oh, no, this is a corner. Uh, yeah, away. that's definitely a corner. Man, did this thing just, like, explode or something? I don't know. Kind this one did... Bomb- bombastic placement of these Definitely rooms. did fall into the swamp, yeah. No question. Okay, and then we just get this goblin camp over here. Um, obviously the proximity of goblins and forces, you know, in, in numbers like this, so close to, uh, Bree is odd. Um. There did make mention of enemies being much closer than Bree thought. That's true. I'm looking at them closely as they're dropping dead in front of my eyes. Um, <sighs> we have a and there's this factory. thing in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Who's this dude? What is- oh, he's just a warrior. Yeah. No one important. And then we get the sappers. Yeah. 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 This is one of those rudimentary watchers. Yes. Notice how it clouded over here, right? It's uh, like night lies over the goblin camp here. Yep. With a dark satanic mill. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth Thomas, he, he's, he's nobody of consequence, clearly. Now, Amethorn, you're right. We are much further away than the game suggests. I mean, we can't, we can't ignore that fact uh, that indeed... You know, we've gone as far as it took the Hobbits and Strider, you know, for like five days to yeah. uh, to travel, four or five days at least. Um, so there's that, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose sight yeah. of that. Um, and, and also, the, remember, 
Frodo darkly hinted they there might have been things there, but they never saw them. That's true. That's true. Um, you could say, right, that that could be the other reason why they didn't see anything, because, like, you know, like the other larger animals and things had, uh, you know, run away from the goblin presence. But, I mean, again, obviously, yeah. we, we don't really want to suggest that there was, uh, there could likely have been goblins in this area in the book. I, I think that's clearly not true. Um, the question is, what is the story that they're introducing by doing that? You know, by 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 choosing goblins to put in this place. Um, uh-huh. One, I think, is as you say, the idea that yes, there are dangers uh, just outside of Bree, closer than the Bree landers, like Butterbur, you know, would suspect. Um, you know, that by itself is clearly a uh, um one way in which uh in which that kind of camp fits um also the one of the other things of course that we get routinely is this sense of the intrusion into these lands of saruman as he begins to try to bring all of the the north and and uh west under his dominion which always struck me as just what he would be trying to do Exactly. And we start to see that more in the Lone Lands when we see more and more people carrying the white hand on their on their armor and their shields. Absolutely. Do we know anything about the motivations of the goblins down there? Well, you want to go back and look at their armor and see? See if we see any white hands? I didn't see any white hands. I, but was I wasn't looking. looking for them either. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking back over the marshes from this vantage point here. I love how it does give that impression of sort of twisted you can see there are some like there is no real path across it and it's all twisty and sunken i think it looks really good um mm-hmm. looks it looks a lot like the the wetlands of virginia <laughs> yeah yeah um anyway okay well you should probably stop it's getting very late uh, yes it is so we are approaching weathertop we will resume next week uh, coming closer to uh to weathertop uh, and maybe we'll even get to exploring around the base of Weathertop, though there is poetry next time, so we may not get that far. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. So uh, next week, as I say, I will be back at normal time. Uh, hopefully I will even have prepped for class, but next Tuesday is going to be a busy day. So uh, we'll see where things are. Um, uh, but anyway, thanks for joining us, everyone, and we will... Uh, uh, well, I'll see you back next week and hopefully with, uh, with a good report for you. Not that I'll have any results, of course, by next week, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but our primary evaluation will be done for the state of New Hampshire. That'll be, that'll be exciting. All, All right. right. See everybody. And don't forget, uh, we do tomorrow night. We are starting our new book. We are starting Sir Thomas Mowry's Mort D'Arthur. Uh, and, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to get going on Mallory tomorrow. So, wow. <laughs> uh, so join me tomorrow. That's 10 PM tomorrow night. Thanks everybody. I will see you guys next week. Bye now. Goodbye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. 
If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.